Hello, beautiful. Hello, beautiful soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week we're talking about addiction. I have been doing some deep, deep, deep healing uh, these past few years. <laughs> And I drifted along, you know, started healing trauma, started healing my relationships, started healing my own self-love and um, belief in myself and my own strength and my own independence, working on, you know, ironing out those wrinkles of codependence still left in me and came around to face my own addiction and addictive behaviors again. And I feel like, you know, on the spiral of healing, that's just how it is. You think you're done with something and then you come back around and see it from a higher perspective and you're like, oh wait, there's more to heal. And then you do it again. And then you're like, oh wait, there's more to heal. And then you do it again. And you're like, oh wait, there's more to heal. And so this little journey led me to discover the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. He's like an addiction specialist and a, um, a like palatial care unit doctor. So he's dealt a lot with death, a lot with addiction, a lot with loss, a lot with trauma and, um, found himself on a little bit of a self-help path as he, as he began to see his own addictive behaviors mirrored in the people he was treating. And he, he really comes at it from a compassionate, um, perspective, which I, have sometimes a hard time holding on to with addiction and addictive behaviors because I grew up with a lot of addiction in my family of origin and it was deeply hurtful. You know, I saw some things as a kid that kids shouldn't see and I have PTSD and complex PTSD because of the adults in my life and their addiction-fueled choices (laughs) and... So for a long time, and I also lost a cousin to um, an overdose when I was in my early 20s. So, you know, it's been a rocky, rocky road with me. And I had a lot of anger and I had a lot of resentment. And it's, it is frustrating to deal with people with especially the more extreme drug dependencies and stuff because as <laughs> Jerry Garcia once said about heroin... Um, that it's, it's kind of like a, I'm paraphrasing, but this is kind of like, he said that heroin is this beautiful thing because it takes all your problems in life and reduces them down to that little packet and like wondering and just like focusing all of your energy on like where you're getting more, when you're getting more, where the hit next hit is coming from, when it's coming, when you're going to feel that relief. And you know, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that really like resonates with me. I didn't find my addiction in heroin. Really, I found my addiction in relationships. And that's why I like Gabor Mate's sort of humble, um, self-aware and compassionate and also broad definition of addiction. Because, you know, we have this like war on drugs thing here in America, um, that's really like shameful and really punitive. And 
I mean, rooted in capitalism and white supremacy and <laughs> all of those powers that be that run our lives and oppress us. But um, it's just not, everyone is always like, you know, like don't give money to a homeless person because they might use it to buy drugs, right? It's very judgmental and othering. Like not me, that could never be me. So when uh, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about his addiction to shopping, it's like, wow, okay, I get it. We're all addicts, right? And he defines it as um, basically like any any coping mechanism, like any behavior that you um, participate in that causes momentary relief from suffering, but that you find yourself unable to stop despite negative consequences. So these are, these can be things like lying, right? Like as, as kids, especially if you have, um, authoritative, (laughs) um, tyrannical sort of adults raising you, you can live in fear. And if they make your emotions, your sexuality, your truth, um, if they make those things unacceptable, if they punish you for those things, if they punish you for your truth, for who you are, for how you actually feel. This happened in my own life, telling adults in my life that they drank too much when I was a kid. Like I just didn't understand the weight that that would hold. And I've seen this happen in friends of mine where their kids speak that truth to them and they punish them for being rude, for speaking out of turn, even though that's the kid's truth. And even though all that just happened is the adult got triggered by the child's truth, right? It should be more like, oh shit, my kid thinks I drink too much. Maybe I drink too much, right? That's how it should go, but that's rarely how it plays out. And that's because, um, or what happens then is you start to lie, right? The lie is rewarded because people don't often want to know the truth. Um, they don't want to see the truth. That's why when we're mirrors to each other, someone usually runs or like gets defensive and fights back, even though all we're doing is living and just like reflecting each other back and forth. That's why our egos get triggered. Right. And so when that happens, you're taught to lie. Lying initially really helps you out because it stops you from getting a beating. It stops you from getting on restriction. It stops you from, um, feeling the wrath of your parent or the disappointment of your parent or whatever negative emotions, the shame, the guilt, whatever comes up, it prevents you from, you get to do what you want to do, but you don't have to feel all those negative consequences, right? So it it, it starts off as a safety precaution. It starts off as a a coping mechanism, but if you continue embodying that throughout your life, it's going to sabotage your relationships. It's going to sabotage your work. It's going to sabotage your integrity as a person. And what it's going to do is it's going to close up that throat chakra and stop allowing the truth from coming forward. So if you want to express an emotion, you'll find yourself blocked up. If you want to lay a boundary, you'll find yourself blocked up. And the more lies we tell, the more 
more lies we have to tell. It also stifles the sense of self. So you're afraid to be yourself. You're afraid to speak your truth. You're afraid to shine your light because you've been taught that that is what you need to do in order to survive. So if one comes to this point of realization where they're like, oh my God, I've been lying my whole life. I cannot stop lying. Maybe all of my problems are caused from being a liar. So maybe I should rethink this. And if you find yourself unable to stop, that's an addiction. Um, For me, people-pleasing was a huge addiction of mine. It's something I still work on because my truth got stifled. My emotions got stifled. When I was upset or unpleasant or spoke a little too much truth, you know, basically like if I just let it all hang out, I was punished and rejected for it. And so, and what I, (laughs) so I learned, um, to put myself aside, my own feelings aside, my own exhaustion, my own stress, my own trauma, my own childhood, even aside to cater to the adults around me, to anticipate their every need, to be there for them, to be a perfect, well-behaved, um, you know, good student, good, big sister, good friend, good partner, good this, perfect, right? Perfection was one of my addictions. Perfection and people-pleasing and perfection in people-pleasing. So what that created in my life was a kind of chaos. (laughs) This is typical for Libras, by the way. Created a kind of chaos where um, I had attracted to me to mirror back, not as a, as a perfect reflection, but to mirror back the sort of mirror image, right? The, the inverse or the flipped around version of me where like I was attracting people who had been sort of little tyrants in their household, you know, people that were overindulged, people who were used to being catered to princesses, you know, king of the kings of the castle, as well as dealing with my family of origin. So I was just this little, natural, unqualified, but like sort of just innate healer, innate therapist, innate confidant, innate friend to people around me. And I had no skills or tools or information on how to do this. Now, some of us do have a natural inclination towards these things. You know, you're a good listener. You can take in the information that someone's giving you flip it around in your brain for a second and then spit out what they need to hear. Sometimes not even knowing where it comes from, right? Most people do have an ability, most emotionally intelligent or like open-hearted people have a a way of being good at that. Um, But it doesn't mean you're ready to help and it doesn't mean that you should be carrying that burden or that responsibility, especially to the people who are supposed to be doing that for you. So I just, you know, karmic copy after karmic copy of my family of origin, people who walked all over me, people who expected too much of me, people who would belittle and abuse me in order to keep me sort of attached to them, Um, people who poked my wounds and pushed my buttons on purpose to keep me in a state of survival mode. And so I was just getting re-traumatized over and over and over again. People who abandoned me, people who rejected me, people who wanted me to be something other than I was. And this all felt normal and natural and like home to me. But 
that was an addiction because I would find myself complaining and complaining and complaining about my friends or my partners or my job and not doing anything about it, right? It would go terribly wrong again and again and again. I would be exhausted beyond belief. I would be so lonely and yet run ragged by the people in my life, right? There was no energy left for me. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted. And all of that, if you think about it, is like kind of a lie. Like being like, I have no needs, no boundaries. I'm just a perfect vessel for you to dump your feelings into. Um, and I'm never going to complain about it. Like, and I'm never going to need anything. That's not true, right? That was a lie I was living. That was what I was conditioned to be, but it wasn't actually good for me. I didn't enjoy it. And I wasn't nurturing or fostering authentic connections because I wasn't being truly myself. I wasn't being open. I wasn't being vulnerable. I wasn't being receptive. No one around me was interested in giving to me um, emotionally, right? But I couldn't stop it. I couldn't free myself. You know, when someone would be like, if you don't like that person, stop talking to them. I would just, they'd just be like, la, 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 la. Like no, <laughs> no information coming in. I was just like not accepting that. Like, no, 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 that's not my truth. That's not what's happening here. I'm not going to walk away. And I realized the other day that that particular connection um, that particular kind of trauma bond where you know someone's mistreating you, you know someone's not making you happy, or even if you don't want to think of it like that, even if it's just like this thing isn't meant for me. When you hang on and hang on and hang on, what it does is, or what you're subconsciously trying to do, I think, is delay the grief of the ending, right? Because every goodbye is a little death. Like every transformation has death with it. So it requires a bit of mourning, a bit of grief of the old. The, the new comes in and it's always beautiful. It's always more beautiful than what's going, right? But we're so afraid of that grief, especially when we're younger, if we haven't dealt with a lot of our issues. Um, so we hold on. And I would do that. I would hold on way too long, like way past when something was good for me. Some things I participated in were never good for me, were never love, were only abuse. And I just couldn't see it and couldn't free myself either. And it took a lot of therapy and a lot of working on it. And I still struggle with it. You know, I still have this impulse, these default settings, if you will, um, to overgive, to caretake, to put my own feelings aside in order to help someone else or just continue a relationship, you know? I feel like when there is an overtaker and an overgiver, the overgiver obviously is not getting much in return. And so they just eventually, I think, kind of get fed up, right? With the lack of reciprocity. But the overtaker is having a great time, right? Like, please give me more. Like, be at my beck and call. No matter how I treat you, pick up the phone when I... Um, text you, you know, like if I need you, please come running. If I need attention, give it to me. If I need to feel beautiful, make me feel that way. If I need support, give me support no matter what I give you in return. Like obviously that's like, why would that person give that up? It's working for them. <laughs> it's not working for the person who's in the trauma bond, who's the victim of the trauma bond, right? So that was a big thing for me is like, finding and being attracted to the reciprocity and the love. And um, that's the solution. Like that's part of my recovery. And 
sometimes it takes me a minute, you know, (laughs) sometimes it takes me a lot longer than it should to realize that someone doesn't have my best interests at heart or is mistreating me or isn't going to reciprocate. Um, that the love in one sense or another is unrequited. Like that's just part of my dysfunction because, um, my family of origin didn't love me or care for me correctly in a way that was healthy. And that's not to blame them. You know, that's, I understand that their wounding is very similar to mine and it came from their family of origin and their, you know, like their, their home life, their childhoods. And I don't really have any, like, any feelings but compassion and forgiveness for that, even though it's taken me a long time to get here, doesn't mean I want to go back and participate in it and mistake my current stability for strength enough to handle it. No, not at all. It would not be, this is what they say in like AA, right? Like one of the things you have to do when you decide that you're going to stop drinking is not go to the places you used to go, not hang out with the people you used to hang out with. If anyone is still in their addiction, you kind of have to put space between you and them until um, a point when they're ready to seek out their own help, right? And so, because otherwise they will bring you down. It's like in lifeguard school when they tell you, you know, when you're going to save a person that you don't swim right up to them because they will pull you down. In their panic, for a gasp of air, they will pull you down. So you are better off sending a flotation device from a safe distance and towing them back to shore. And um, that's kind of how it is, you know? Like, you can't really mentor someone while they're drowning (laughs) in the addiction. You have to put a lifeline, you know? And for me, the lifeline is the stuff I post on the internet. It's the healing I do for myself, which I know causes an energetic shift, which makes it easier for other people to recover. Every time I take care of myself and I show, don't tell how it works in my life, someone else sees it and is like, oh, wow, that clearly works. Let me give that a try. These are all the ways that I try to, um, you know, extend my flotation device while keeping myself safe. So it doesn't mean I'm going to run back into the lion's den. No, no, no. Cause boundaries are part of my recovery, right? Boundaries are the antidote to codependence because if you, um, if you lay a boundary with someone toxic, they're going to freak the fuck out. So that's a pretty good, it's, <laughs> it keeps you pretty safe from toxic people. And that's a good indicator of where the love actually is, is if you lay a boundary and someone's like, okay, cool, got it. (laughs) You know, that's how you can spot a healthy person. So that's just one of my many addictions. I have struggled with drinking in my life. There was a period of about four to, to maybe six years where I was drunk, very, very drunk, pretty often. Um, to the point of, you know, vomiting and blacking out and doing things I deeply regret, waking up with lots of shame and a massive hangover, (laughs) Um, you know, participating in relationships where the only thing we had in common was getting drunk, an inability to stop despite harmful consequences. I've also struggled. I don't, obviously weed isn't like physically addictive, but I have struggled with the numbing 
effect of weed. I still smoke weed, obviously, obviously (laughs) I still smoke weed and I occasionally will have a drink, but I don't get drunk anymore and I don't stay stoned all day. I really try to limit myself. It does help me sleep. It does help with my pain. It does help with my anxiety, but I try to use it as medicine now and not as like a means to being stoned off my ass all day and completely numbed out. So I can't feel anything. And I've done, you know, I've drank more and smoked more weed when I was going through something really hard. And most of my life has been hard. So I cut myself some slack on that. That's a thing that Gabor Mate really like is really good at conveying, which is, or really good at just a a great question posed, which is that like, well, what does your addiction do for you? Like if you, if you participate in it, if you have a hard time stopping, like what are the positives it brings to your life? And for me, drinking was, um, you know, like with, with a lot of people, especially a lot of shy people, it was like a social lubricant. It helps me get on stage to perform. It helps me make friends. It helped me dance freely. It helped me loosen up and have a good time. It helped with my overstimulation. It was a good excuse to like just get out, you know, which I did need at one point in my life, but I did, I took it too far and that's because I have that addictive personality, um, because I have trauma, right? Because I have unhealed wounds and that's why everyone walking this earth is probably (laughs) an addict of some kind, whether in recovery or not, because we all have trauma. We all have stuff we're not trying to deal with. Like how many people can only get through family functions if they are drinking, you know? We all carry that. How many people have shopping addictions? I mean, what is capitalism if not an addiction to consuming and money and status and power? That's what capitalism is. That's how it exists. Um, And I think that's why, you know, we're addicted to social media now. We're addicted. We have these tech addictions where we need constant validation and, you know, external sort of affirmation that we're worthy, that we're worthy of attention, that we're worthy of a like, that we're desirable, that we're interesting. Instead of cultivating that within, we've just found another, even more accessible way to, to participate in those kind of behaviors. So like, it's all addiction, baby. And what is addiction if not trauma? So it's all trauma, baby, (laughs) which always brings us back to healing. Um, I was going to say something that Gabor Mate was really good at, and then I went off on a tangent. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm not in practice anymore, right? Sometimes sometimes talking for an hour is pretty hard, especially because I don't script anything. Uh, I really like to, like, let it all hang out and just say what comes out of my mouth and trust that that's the right thing and that it's going to find the right ears, but it's tough sometimes. Uh, Oh, that addiction is trauma. Right, right, right. So healing our trauma, right? That's the theme of this podcast. That is the theme of our lives. That is our purpose here on this planet to transmute and alchemize what the world and existing and being human and being civilized and um living the way we do and treating each other the way we do being unconscious. Like it's all healing that that is, that is our true purpose here. And, and it's because 
you know, we're meant to evolve as a species, but I think we've been a little bit blocked, a little bit stuck in place for a very long time because, you know, once in a while someone will come along like a Jesus or a Buddha or a, you know, what have you, insert (laughs) philosophical figure here, and they'll try to bring a little bit of awareness to humanity and they'll affect the people around them or hundreds of people or whatever, thousands of people, millions of people, generations of people. But it doesn't happen to everybody. You know, a lot of people resist. And the thing is, if you don't heal your stuff, you're going to pass it on to the next generation. And then they're going to have to heal from it. And then they're going to have to heal from it. And then they're going to have to heal from it. And then the world doesn't get better. We don't improve as a species. We don't really evolve. We might become more scientific, we might become more advanced, we might become richer, we might become more powerful or whatever, but we'll still be hurting ourselves and one another. And so it's all about the healing man. Um, I feel like a good question to ask yourselves is, what does recovery mean for me? You know, what do I say I'm going to stop, but I have a hard time stopping? What does it do for me? How does it improve my life? And am I ready to release it? And if I am ready to release it, maybe I should write it a letter and thank it for keeping me alive. Maybe I should take stock of all the ways that it led me towards the light, right? For me, weed helps me be present. It, again, helps with my overstimulation. It helps with my anxiety. It helps with my pain. It helps me sleep. It helps me eat. Um, it helped me feel alive. It helped me not be completely and totally overwhelmed by my own recovery as far as facing my demons, facing my trauma, being in therapy. It helped me get onto the yoga mat and take care of my body. It helped me feel sexy again. It helped me feel confident. It helps me connect to my higher self when I was performing or fucking, or um, creating art. You know, it helped open my third eye up. So think about the ways that it's helped you and be grateful, you know? Don't just be shameful. Don't just be judgmental because that those, those energies never help anybody, honestly. I don't know if anyone's ever been for real shamed into <laughs> changing their ways. I mean, if you have, by all means, reach out and let me know. But I think that compassion and love, especially for ourselves, forgiveness for ourselves is the way to go. And at least in my own life and experience, and I'm by no means an expert. All I'm doing here is sharing what I've been through and what I've learned. So take it with a grain of salt, you know, but maybe consider like, is there a way I'm numbing? Is there a way I'm avoiding, you know, some people addiction isn't love. Addiction is like avoidance of love running for the hills the, the first time someone wants to show you or every time someone wants to show you they care. Um, jealousy is an addiction. You know, this like desire to own one's partner, to control one's partner. I think narcissism is an addiction to power. Um, 
And, you know, we have this like martyr syndrome where we give, 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 and then want to be resentful and angry at everyone around us and guilt them into behaving the way we want them to behave, right? That's also an addiction to power. Codependence is an addiction to, uh, it's just a trauma bond. A trauma bond is an addiction. That is a person that you are addicted to. If you're sitting around waiting by the phone for someone to hit you up and they intermittently do, you know, if you tell yourself and tell yourself and tell yourself, I'm not going to respond to this fucking guy who is just going to booty call me once every three months. And I'm just like sitting around swearing he's in love with me. He's going to figure it out one day. He's going to be there for me one day. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for that text message. And you're miserable the whole three months until bing, there's the notification. Then you're high as a kite and at his door as quickly as you can at three in the morning. You know what? Just speaking from experience. (laughs) You know, that's, you're addicted to a person and that's not good for you. So recovery, if you can't, if you can't stay off Instagram, you know, if you like, and this is also experience for me, if you find yourself getting on your phone to like check your bank account and instead you accidentally open Instagram and scroll for 45 minutes, if you check it 32,000 times a day, if you're constantly refreshing, even though there's nothing new to look at and it makes you feel bad about yourself, that might be an addiction. So first identify the behaviors, right? And it can be anything. It can be shopping. You know, if you find yourself in a mountain of credit card debt because you can't stop spending because the second you feel anything, you decide you need to buy something for that rush of dopamine, right? Identify the behaviors. Spirituality can be an addiction. Meditation you can be addicted to. Like literally anything you take to an extreme. Anything where I once heard a story about a guy who <laughs> who was addicted to sucking his own dick. Like anything, porn, sex, relationships, TV, like anything. Identify the behaviors. Evaluate the ways that they have helped you cope. For me, when I've been like addicted to TV, it's been when I'm really depressed or really anxious and I can't get out of bed and all I can do is like check out into a fictional world. It makes me feel like I'm socializing. It makes me feel like I am doing things. It occupies my mind. But, and you know, sometimes I need that. Sometimes I need to just like rest and check out and not think about anything and just lay in bed, right? That's if I if I do it once in a while when my body tells me I need it, especially being chronically ill, that's a good thing, right? Prioritizing rest because we can also be addicted to pushing ourselves too hard and grinding, right? That's another distraction from our pain. And um you know, it's a good thing if I'm do if it does help and improve my life, but There have been times when I wanted to do other things, when I wanted to work, when I wanted to create, when it was starting to take away from my experience of life and I couldn't stop, but it was keeping me alive. It was helping me heal. It's helping me rest. So thank you for that, but I'd like to do something a little healthier now, right? So then start to think about after you thank it, after you assess it, you see the ways that it's helped you, the ways that it's kept you alive, the way it's kept you from succumbing to the dark void of existence. (laughs) Then start to think about, okay, what does recovery look like for me? 
Does recovery look like going no contact with an abuser? Does recovery look like trying not to drink every day? Does recovery look like only smoking weed before bed? (laughs) Does recovery look like getting on my yoga mat or calling a friend or all of the above? Does recovery look like helping someone else when I've been selfish or saying no when I mean it? Does it mean when I feel a feeling, when I feel triggered, sitting with the emotion, feeling the emotion, letting myself feel it, letting myself sort of wallow in it for a minute, let it wash over my body, let it, you know, like a wave, how it like, it gets bigger and then it, what's that called? Crests or whatever. And then it crashes and then it pulls out or a fire, like a fire eventually burns out. There's no fire that's burned forever. A toddler throwing a tantrum, eventually it passes, right? Can I let myself just lean into this emotion and let it pass? Is that recovery? Is recovery getting into therapy and talking to someone once a week? Writing in a journal? uh, Getting some tarot cards? You know, what does it look... Going for a walk every day. What does it look like for you? Oh, I just happen to think... You know, I think eating disorders are a kind of addiction. You know, it's trying to control something. It's like when your life feels out of control, you got to control one thing and at least I control what I eat. I can control what I eat, right? Um, I just happen to think of that. But like binge eating also is a kind of addiction, like addiction to food. That's a, a thing that's popped into my head so many times when I get down on my yoga mat to meditate and my ego flares up and is like, you're hungry. You want to eat something. If I am hungry genuinely, and my body needs food, I get up and eat. But when it started happening as a pattern, I was like, "Mm, every time I sit down to meditate, I want something sweet. Uh, Maybe, (laughs) maybe that's my ego. Um, Same thing with like hating my body, right? Like feeling fat or um, talking to myself badly and judgmentally about what I've eaten and feeling like you should be doing better. You should have more self-control. Like that's an addiction. All of that all when I was wrapped up in my eating disorder, all of that served to delay my healing, to distract me from what was really hurting me, which was this mountain of trauma I was carrying around. So just as a tangent for a second, because I just wanted to cover all the ones I've experienced in my life as much as possible. Um, just to show you, you know, like I said, from my own experience, that's all I can talk about. That's all I'm qualified to talk about, but just to plant a little seed in your head and have you start thinking about the ways in which you distract from your own healing. Um, complaining, (laughs) you know, complaining, 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 but never changing anything. We all needed to do it. You know, I think sometimes complaining can be like a meditation, especially if you're complaining about sort of the powers that be and how the world isn't fair. I'm all for that. But eventually you got to make a move to change something, you know, change what you can change, accept what you can't. That is the secret to happiness, my friends. Um, so yeah, identify the behaviors, thank them for how they've served you. Ask yourself what recovery looks like for you guarantee it will look like self-love and self-care. 
and boundaries, <laughs> boundaries with yourself. You know, don't respond to that text message from that toxic person. Don't fall for the love bombing. Don't fall for the, that call of the trauma bond, right? Don't buy something because you feel the impulse to, even though you don't have the money and you don't really need that thing. That's how like hoarding happens, right? Hoarding is a kind of like usually a shopping addiction or just an addiction to like holding on to things. It makes people feel safe. It makes people feel in control. But it is, is it healthy if it takes over your life? Is it healthy if you find yourself in more debt than you could tackle? Because you need to feel worthy to have a certain amount of status symbols to look successful on the outside. So yeah, figure out what recovery means for you and, and think about integrity. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a, a podcast about this. If I haven't already, I might have already, but I've been thinking a lot more about it. So maybe I'll do, if I have, I'll do like integrity part two or whatever, but ask yourself like, like what is my integrity? What does my integrity look like? What does it mean for me to be a person of integrity? You know, like always speaking truth. Um, laying a boundary when you feel like you need to, if your body says no, listening, whether it's resting or, um, or taking time for yourself or whatever it might be. Integrity is like, what activities do I participate in that make me more the person I would like to be as far as being a positive presence, being a healing energy, you know, being authentic, being vulnerable, what helps me be those things and what keeps me away from being those things, treating the people around me with kindness and generosity and respect, what things add to being that person and what things take away from being that person. And then trying to steer clear of the things that sabotage that goal of being a person of integrity. I think it's important for us as a collective to really, really stop youing addiction and start meing addiction, right? A lot of times judgment is, is grounded in this impulse to distance ourselves from what we don't like about ourselves, right? So like when you're youing, you know that like silly saying that's like when you point the finger at someone else, four fingers are pointing back at you. It's like that, right? So you're saying like, you're a bad person. You're an addict. You don't have any self-control. And instead of doing that, realize that what we're doing is trying to push that truth, what that person represents as far away from ourselves as possible. And instead try to integrate it, right? Try to be like, what is this bringing out in me? What is this triggering in me? What is this trying to show me about myself? Because chances are it's in you too. And I think that'll just make things like the war on drugs obsolete, right? It'll just make um, even something like like classism, right? Cla- classism is like, you know, like, ew, gross poor people, right? <laughs> and it, it, dis- it, dis- it puts distance between our humanity and the humanity of someone else and our divinity and the divinity of someone else. If you can take that person into your heart and be like, they're suffering, 
just like I'm suffering. You know, it, if they are more in an addiction, that probably means that you had access to more. You had ha- access to a more stable home life. You had access to more financial support. You had access to more, um, you know, even mental health support, health insurance, like things like that. All it means is you were a bit luckier in life than that person who's struggling a little bit more. And I think if we could all live with that truth within us, life would be a lot easier and recovery would be a lot easier because that judgment and that guilt and that shame, that's what we're all trying to avoid. That grief, that rejection, that abandonment, that's what we're all trying to avoid. When we combine all of our problems into that little packet, that person, you know, that thing we want to buy, that new diet fad, like whatever it is, when we put all our problems into that, it feels manageable, but it's just an illusion. It's just momentary relief because as anyone who's gone out drinking after a rough day knows when you wake up sober the next day, those problems are still there and they might even be worse. So let's just all try to be a little bit more gentle And, you know, I think when we cultivate that in ourselves, when we give ourselves compassion, when we give ourselves forgiveness, when we give ourselves wholeness, when we give ourselves hope, when we let ourselves live in integrity, then we allow everyone around us to do the same. And that's why the kindest, most compassionate people are, you know... (laughs) are gents they speak kindly to themselves and the most judgmental people are the hardest on themselves if you have someone around you who's really nasty who's really judgmental who's like always pointing the finger at other people always criticizing others you can guarantee that voice in their head to themselves is just as nasty is just as terrible and you could probably trace the words that they say to you all the way back to their childhood does that mean that you need to engage with that person that you even need to try to help that person No, but it does mean that finding the forgiveness in your heart may help you recover from that encounter more quickly. I find that happens with my family all the time. You know, I find, I find the addiction in me. I find the addict in me. And then I'm like, ah, right. They felt exactly how I felt and they just had a different way of coping with it because they didn't have as many tools. They didn't have as much language or they didn't have as much of an impulse to heal. Sometimes I feel like my healing is, was sort of like destined, you know, like I didn't have a choice in the matter other than to heal. And maybe they didn't have that, you know, and and maybe in a way that's sort of like a, a privilege, whatever it was in me. I think it was my autism, but you know, (laughs) everybody's different. So yeah, be gentle, be honest, feel your feelings, do your healing, get a damn journal, get therapy if you can. If not, there's tons of free resources. There's tons of self-help books. There are, you can listen to this podcast, go back and listen to old episodes. And you know, the final sort of level of healing, although it's not linear and it's not a straight line, it's a spiral. And sometimes you get knocked down and you have to go all the way back down and start again, you know, and it's okay. 
It's okay. Each time you're just picking up more tools. Each time you're just remembering things you forgot. Each time you're just getting better and stronger and more whole and happier. And that's the thing. Like recovery is hard. Recovery is painful. Recovery is sometimes lonely. Recovery is, oh man, it hurts. It's so, so, so hard, but it's also beautiful. Every day that you wake up with a clear head and sort of a clear conscience and a blank slate, every moment you find presence, every time you feel something to its depth, to its roots, and you release it, you feel lighter. More, There's more space for more to come in. You receive more love. You receive more support. You find more stability. You're able to create more. And then you get to a place where you can help others. And that's the most fulfilling thing and the most healing thing of all. Um, you can't save everyone. You can't be everything to everyone, but occasionally you can help. And that just feels incredible. And it makes you want to stay in your integrity and it makes you, makes you want to be a good example. And it makes you want to be more open to others. And occasionally something will go haywire. Again, you won't be able to help everyone, but at the end of the day, it just feels fucking good. (laughs) So way better than being stoned way better than, um, being drunk, way better than buying something big for yourself. It just feels like what we're supposed to be doing here. Um, on a final note, if you haven't watched the Disney movie that, or the Pixar movie soul that just came out, you definitely should. It talks a lot about, not about addiction, but just about our purpose in life and like what it means to be alive and what we should all be doing here and what we should, what would better serve us to focus on besides our job? (laughs) Um, And I just thank you so much for listening. I thank you so much for shifting your focus towards your recovery. I thank you so much for being open-minded with me, for coming back despite my lack of consistency sometimes. And, you know, just just for being alive. Some days, most days, that's enough. Go outside, look at a tree, notice how beautiful it is. Take a big deep breath in the fresh air wherever you are and say thank you. Um, Give yourself some credit, give yourself some love and um, you know, just take care. Happy healing, happy recovery. I love you so much. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.